Hello and welcome to Tabling the Podcast. My name is Ariana Karp and I am joined by a wonderful group of actors as we delve through Act Two of King John, the weird and wonderful history. So just a brief overview, what happened in Act One? French messenger came in, said, um, you need to give up your crown, King John, or we're gonna go to war with you. King John said, fuck that. It's my crown. Um, then hilarity ensued when we had uh, the bastard, otherwise known as Philip Falconbridge, and his brother Robert come in. There's a lot of uh, innuendos about um, mothers not being faithful. And it all fell out that um, Philip Falconbridge, the eldest son, is the current king's nephew, illegitimate nephew. Oh man, it's really, it's, uh, I'll post a family tree. <laughs> it all makes sense. Um, and so Philip Falconbridge has become a new favorite of the king and they're headed off to France to uh, defend King John's title. So our first act was in England and now we've shifted to a totally different country and different place and time. And now we're in France. Before Angers, well met, brave Austria. Arthur, that great forerunner of thy blood, Richard, that robbed the lion of his heart and fought the holy wars in Palestine, by this brave duke came early to his grave. And for amends to his posterity, at our importance hither is he come to spread his colors, boy, in thy behalf, and to rebuke the usurpation of thy unnatural uncle, English John. Embrace him, love him, give him welcome hither. God shall forgive you Cœur de Leon's death, the rather that you give his offspring life, shadowing their right, their right under your wings of war. I give you welcome with a powerless hand, but with a heart of unstrained love. Welcome before the gates of Angiers, Duke. A noble boy. Who would not do thee right? On thy cheek lay I this zealous kiss as sealed to this indenture of my love, that to my home I will no more return till Angier and the right thou hast in France, together with that pale, that white-faced shore, whose foot spurns back the ocean's roaring tides and coops from other lands her islanders, even till that England, hedged in with the main, that water-walled bulwark still secure and confident from foreign purposes, even till that utmost corner of the West. Salute thee for her king. Till then, fair boy, will I not think of home, but follow arms. Can I, can I pause one second and ask a question? Um, about the relationship actually between the Dauphin and Arthur. And sort of like the power struggles or the power that's being shifted around right now and who, and, and what, I don't know if I, I'm just curious how much, I don't know if I have jealousy of Arthur, but is there, what do we all want from him? I guess is my question. That's a fantastic question, Rave. I, I, I think there's, um, these politics, as, as uh, I think we discussed a bit in Act One, are really complicated. These alliances and allegiances change, you know, uh, to quote another Shakespeare play, they're a feather for every wind that blows. Like every wind seems to um, 
shift the alliances. So the Dauphin would be the crown prince. So he's the heir to the throne of France. But at this sure. time, <laughs> France was under England's control. Um, so it's, it's, it's less of a sort of magnificent uh, kingship. Um, and, and as we're about to see, having Arthur, who has lived in France for all of his life as the ruler over England and France, would be very advantageous to, um, to you. Right. So in a, in a certain way, I think this is definitely an alliance of convenience from, yeah. from what I understand. Um, but yeah, I think that's a wonderful, I, as we'll see at the end of Act 3, when you have this uh, conversation with the very creepy cardinal <laughs> who basically says like, well, hey, man, you know Arthur's going to be killed, so you should just step in and... Uh, claim the English throne for you. <laughs> right, so, and right. you, you know, it takes like a page for you to agree to that. So yeah. I think, um, I, I kind of love looking at this play as kind of a, a political uh, farce, just looking at, at how rapidly um, people who have sworn these very strong oaths just turn on their head yeah. to essentially um, reverse the decision <laughs> that they had previously made. Um, but I think that's totally your call in terms of interpretation, in terms right. of like, if, if the noble boy, if that line, you know, I think you could definitely see it as being genuine. You could definitely do it in a way that sort of undermined what you were saying and <laughs> gave right. a very I mean, sense of irony. <laughs> I'm obviously yeah. playing a part for everyone in court and he's, but he is an important chess piece. And I understand that for the good of my family and everything I have. So. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm yeah. also really interested by the, um, the relationship between uh, Lewis and Philip and the father son dynamic there. There's some interesting moments where Philip just sort of goes, okay, Lewis, what should we do? Right. Which right. Is awesome. right and, yeah, he's like, on. And I'm like, have fun, go okay. do the thing. Yeah, it's kind of amazing. Um, and then this guy, Austria, too. I would love to, while we're Paul, just talk about him because he's, he's pretty rad. Um, he's a, he is the smushing of two historical people into one. So there was a Duke of Austria that had Richard prisoner, right. Richard the first prisoner. And then there was also a Duke of Limoges in France, France, who was the one who killed Richard I. And Shakespeare's conflated these two people into one. But I'm always very interested in these plays about like, what are the characters that are kind of othered that don't really belong to, you know, like very, very broad examples would be, for example, Shylock or um, Othello. Um, but in the history plays, it usually tends to be by country. Somebody who isn't from mm. England or, or France is usually a sort of othered character. In the, the Henry IV plays, we see how the Welsh and the Scottish are like very much pushed as these kind of strange outsiders with different belief systems than jolly old England. So it's interesting to me to kind of track, and I think Austria is in a way um, 
definitely an other in this play. We don't, we don't really have anyone else quite like him. Yeah, and uh, I just think it's, it's interesting that he's introduced as the guy that killed Richard, the first, you know, Richard Lionhearted. And what you were talking about, about people like sort of for convenience or maybe for commodity or whatever, turning against their vows or their, you know, beliefs or things like that. I, I think it's very interesting that Arthur, you know, now is allied with this guy that killed this great British king. Yes. So, yeah, it's, that was the first thing I noticed just looking at this again, like how funny to be introduced, like, oh, here's the guy that killed Richard Lionhearted, but don't worry, like, he's gonna be nice to you, and he's like, he's on our side. <laughs> <laughs> and so. I think, like, essential part of the costume is he's wearing this huge, like, lion skin, because oh, yeah. uh, like, this, this, Philip has you. to come and, like, be like, oh, you don't look so good in that, bro. I'm going to take it <laughs> yes. from you after I cut your head off, which is a really fun moment. So, um, yeah. <laughs> um, a, a, a question for this uh, always is, is how do you stage these scenes in a way that will resonate with a contemporary audience? Um, and one thing, I had a lot of issues uh, with the the production that I was in many, many years ago. But uh, one of the things that I quite liked was this, beginning part was done as a press conference um and it was it was it worked quite well because it was very like it's very polished formal diplomatic language and it's clearly like being said for the benefit of other people as opposed to it being this sort of heartfelt private moment so i kind of did like that um in that way yeah, that makes sense. Also, when the citizen comes in later on, that seems like that would be a press conference too, right? Please mm. don't shoot us. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, <That> absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, so after we have this wonderful Austria, also like it's, I don't know, just to me that this like big dude is like kissing this young boy, like a yeah. little bit, a little bit and it's, strange. But, he's like you know. so uh, effusive in, yeah. in like, amplifying his language as he goes along about England, you know, and even that island. Make, make yeah, nothing like, like playing a Arthur for power, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Like, oh, I, I love you just because you're a great little kid. I don't want anything out of this. Yeah. <laughs> Not oh, at totally. all. <laughs> no money, no no lands. It's, it's all good. I'll, I'm just doing this out of the, the, the goodness of my heart. Um, nice. uh, and now, who do we get to hear from but Arthur's mother, one of the most badass mothers in all of Shakespeare, I think. So it, in she comes. What a force in nature. Oh, take his mother's thanks, a widow's thanks, till your strong hand shall help to give him strength to make a more requital to your love. The peace of heaven is theirs that lift their swords in such a just and charitable war. Well then, to work. Our cannon shall be bent against the brows of this resisting town. Call for our chiefest men of discipline to cull the plots of best advantages. We'll lay before this town our royal bones, weighed to the marketplace in Frenchman's blood, but we will make it subject to this boy. 
stay for an answer to your embassy, lest unadvised you stain your swords with blood. My Lord Chatillon may from England bring that right in peace which here we urge in war. And then we shall repent each drop of blood, that harsh, rash haste so indirectly shed. I wonder, lady, lo, upon thy wish, our messenger Chatillon is arrived. What England says, say briefly, gentle lord, we coldly pause for thee. Chatillon, speak. <laughs> and turn your forces from this paltry siege, and stir them up against a mightier task. England, impatient of your just demands, hath put himself in arms. The adverse winds whose leisure I've stayed have given him time to land his legions all as soon as I. His marches are expedient to this town, his forces strong, his soldiers confident. With them along is come the mother queen, and Ate stirring him to blood and strife with her niece, the Lady Blanche of Spain, and with them a bastard of the king's deceased, and all the unsettled humors of the land, rash, inconsiderate, fire, fiery voluntaries, with ladies' faces and fierce dragon spleens, have sold their fortunes at their native homes, bearing their birthrights proudly on their backs to make a hazard of new fortunes here. In brief, a braver choice of dauntless spirits than now the English bottoms have wafted o'er did never afloat upon the swelling tide to do offense and scathe in Christendom. The interruption of their churlish drums cuts off more circumstance. They are at hand, to parley or to fight, therefore prepare. How much unlooked for is this expedition? By how much unexpected, so much, by so much we must awake endeavor for defense, for courage mounteth with occasion. Let them be welcome then, we are prepared. So I'm gonna pause here. Um, I just wanted to, to say that I think there's an interesting parallel with Queen Eleanor in Act One um, with Constance saying like, hang on, hang on, before we blast this thing to smithereens, should we like wait and see if we got a good message, which is another common thread that usually knits all of the women in the history plays together is like, hang on, hang on, before we rip each other up, let's just like, can we see if diplomacy works? <laughs> always always a, an important thing. However, like we will see, also, these women are incredible at like cutting each other down too, which we will see in this scene. I think that there's also this, there's this thing that we're gonna hear over and over again, like, like oh man, we were doing so well. And then the winds yeah. just destroyed <laughs> the fleet. They destroyed, like we couldn't, we couldn't leave. We couldn't do anything. The winds have destroyed. This is the first of, I think like four times we're gonna hear about winds ruining military plans. So winds are dangerous, I think, is is what I'm taking from this. Is that yeah. in what what, Chatelli, what what Chatillon says about? Yeah, yeah, that he was stayed because of bad weather. But yeah, but then how did they get here? So then he quicker? was like ahead of them, but they they had enough time because of the bad weather to like gather their army. Yeah. And then they they were like, I like the idea of like Chatillon in like a little boat. And then there's like the army behind him. And he's like, come on, I got to get to the, I got to get like deliver the message. Why do I only have one oar? It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it's yeah. Like, it's pretty silly. It's pretty silly. But yes, indeed. And then I, I love this description of the army that King John has with him. They're like very plucky and daring. 
and they've sold their fortunes in their native homes, which makes me think of Philip Falconbridge, who's just given up all of his land in order to follow the king and the mother queen to France. And that these, it's like these guys have something to prove. They're, they're very motivated, um, which I don't think the French and Arthur and Constance and their whole crew were kind of expecting this, this big um, outpouring of uh, uh, this big military response, I guess. Right. Pride, um, like pride yeah. from yeah. the like, British. This is ours. English. We're taking it. Yeah. Yeah. Very much. Um, so now we have uh, the, I would like to call this little, the encounter of the antitheses because they, they these kings love to like do the tennis match thing of like, I'm going to serve you, peace be to France. And then the next speech we're going to get, peace be to England. And then they'll be like really fun back and forth. Um, and we're going to hear peace, war, bleed, blood, um, like all these repeated words over and over again in this, um, in this little section and actually really in this whole, this whole scene. Um, so in enters King John of England, the bastard Queen Eleanor Blanche Pembroke and others. Peace be to France, if France in peace permit our just and lineal entrance to our own. If not, bleed France and peace ascend to heaven. Whilst we... God's agent, God's wrathful agent to correct their proud contempt that beats his peace to heaven. Peace be to England, if that war return from France to England, there to live in peace. England we love, and for that England's sake, with burden of our armor, here we sweat. This toil of ours should be a work of thine. But thou, from loving England, art so far that thou hast underwrought his lawful king, cut off the sequence of posterity, outfaced infant state, and done a rape upon the maiden virtue of the crown. Look here upon thy brother Geoffrey's face. These eyes, these brows, were molded out of his. This little abstract doth contain that large which died in Geoffrey. And the hand of time shall draw this brief into as huge a volume. That Geoffrey was thy elder brother born, and this his son, England, was Geoffrey's right. And this is Geoffrey. In the name of God, how comes it then that thou art called a king, when living blood doth in these temples beat, which owe the crown that thou or masterest? From whom hast thou this great commission, France, to draw my answer from thy articles? From that supernal judge that stirs good thoughts in any breast of strong authority to look into the blots and stains of right. That judge hath made me guardian to this boy, under whose warrant I impeach thy wrong, and by whose help I mean to chastise it. Alack, thou dost usurp authority. Excuse it is to beat usurping down. Who is it thou, thou dost call usurper, France? Let me answer thy usurping son. Out, insolent, thy bastard shall be king, that thou mayest be a queen and check the world. My bed was ever to thy son true, as thine was to thy husband, and this boy, liker in feature to his father Geoffrey than thou and John in matters being as like as rain to water or devil to his dam. My boy, a bastard, 
by my soul, I think his father never was so true begot. It cannot be, and if thou wert his mother. There's a good mother, boy, that blots thy father. There's a good grandam, boy, that would blot thee. Peace. Hear the crier. <laughs> what the devil art thou? One that will play the devil, sir, with you. And I may catch your hide and you alone. You are the hare of whom the proverb goes, whose valor plucks dead lions by the beard. I'll smoke your skin coat and I catch you right. Sir, I look to it. If faith, I will, if faith. Oh, well, did he become that lion's robe that did disrobe the lion of that robe? It lies as sightly on the back of him as great Alcides shows upon an ass. But, ass, I'll take that burden from your back, or lay on that shall make your shoulders crack. What cracker is this same that deafs our ears with this abundance of superfluous breath? <laughs> Let's pause there for a second, because we've got some really nice little duo insult, parallel insults going back and forth. So what do we, what do we make, ladies, of this, this <laughs> particular mother-in-law daughter-in-law relationship i mean it's a little it's almost like too stereotypical (laughs) what are your impressions just from sort of just reading this this first encounter between these these two badass women it's so funny because i feel like last time we talked a bunch about how uh there are these, and correct me if I'm misremembering this, that we, we sort of talked a little bit about how there are these, like, these women who are clearly controlling everything, but everything that's being discussed is, like, about the sort of paternal lineage. Mm-hmm. And then, so it's so funny that, like, their insults are immediately like, well, you're a cheater. And, like, they, they're immediately just sort of like, well, <laughs> you cheated on your husband. And, like, it all, the insults are, like, are still that weird, like, paternal kind of thing, which is so funny. Absolutely. No, I'm sorry. I was just doing, yeah, yeah, the paternal insults, but yeah, it's just funny. (laughs) And such power play. Um, I feel like Constance is really, you know, she's, she's, she's stuck between trying not to overassert herself because, you know, she she is, you know, so, so delicate, but yet, (laughs) you know, it's like, but you know, it's like, what side of herself is she going to show? Absolutely we always in this play now associate a very strong bond between uh, King John and Queen Eleanor, this, this mother son relationship. And it's, it's, we're going to see the development of that strong mother son relationship with Constance and Arthur as well. And we kind of saw it a little bit in act one with um, Philip and his mother, um, Lady Falconbridge, who we're never going to see again, but it's, it's interesting to me. It's very rare in Shakespeare to have like more than one mother. Um, figure they're they're usually dead or never talked about um, so it's it's kind of awesome to see so many moms <laughs> in one play and also to just see that sort of very interesting very intense relationship between mothers and sons um, that Shakespeare tends to um, focus on I think when when we're looking at mothers we usually are looking at their relationship to their to their son um, we, uh, as we were working on Act Five of Richard II this past weekend, um, we were looking at the relationship between the Duchess of York and her son O'Merle, who is accused of treason by his father, and the interesting family dynamics that that happen within that. But one conclusion that we had was that these women are intensely devoted to their sons, 
and I think we will we will see that um, with both Constance and Eleanor as the play goes on. I also wanted to just <laughs> give a little like love the the bastard is just he just has the best insults. I mean, he's just got the yeah. best like make your shoulders crack like i don't even know what that means it just sounds like a really good like you know left hook or whatever (laughs) (laughs) it's it's so funny because the uh just jumping off the mother son thing it's it's amazing to me that the women in this play so far all seem to know so clearly what they want Mm. and that's the men who seem to sort of like go back and forth in a much less determined you know strong way Mm. so yeah that's funny but then the fight between the women compared to these jabs between austria and uh um and the bastard just feels like that feels more comedic to me off the bat kind of (laughs) like this this guy who killed someone and took his stature and is kind of all bloated up with with i'm very important because i did this thing and i wear the lion skin around just immediately it's like this guy's insults absolutely <laughs> and the and that he basically calls you well you're just a rabbit that took away a dead lion's you know <laughs> coat which is which is wonderful which is like I'm not, I'm and I, I love that that phrase the skin coat i'm gonna i'm gonna beat your skin coat it's like whoa man that's intense um <laughs> Uh, also, just for, I had to look this one up, but so Alcides um, yeah. what is the, um, it's the original name of Hercules. So it's like if, if Hercules were to be on a, on a riding around on a, you know, on a, if, if Hercules were wearing a donkey, it would look pretty much about as appropriate as, as you wearing a, a lion, I think is what, is what that is. And then the, I love this, what cracker is the same? Um, cracker in this context um, means like a boaster or a windbag. It's just someone who's like, I think of like in the, in the commedia tradition, like Capitano kind of figure, the sort of boasting braggart who really is a coward. So yeah, lots of, lots of fun insult names going on here. Also, Philip of France, you're, that, that speech about Jeffrey, Jeffrey, thy older brother, Jeffrey, Jeffrey. I mean, that's a lot. <laughs> Did you have any, any thoughts about his sort of roundabout argument of why he's doing what he's doing? I mean, beyond that, he likes uh, to hear himself talk. Um, I mean, I think it goes with this sort of obsession with, uh, with genealogies and uh, the idea that you can, that you can be like, see, he has, uh, the same eyes as like a basis for starting a war. Yeah, <laughs> um, absolutely. But I also, I really just, I, I love the image of him being like, no, no, look, look, look here, look here, look at, look at your brother Jeffrey's face. Yeah, I don't. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I just find it funny. Yeah, what he a, hopes to accomplish with this? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Liam, did you did you have something to add? It's just yeah, like everybody's just like pointing at Arthur, like oh look, look he's got his dad's eyes. He's got like this is this is justification for war. Let's just throw him around as justification. Yeah, Woo! 
you know? it is amazing i mean it's something definitely to think about is like how does arthur feel about being sort of poked and prodded and kissed by large men and like <laughs> just sort of like <laughs> is he like tossed how around? old is he um it, so in historically i think he was 17 but shakespeare makes him much younger than that makes him like probably 10 or 11 um but he's very well spoken he's very polite he has great imagery <laughs> he's very well spoken and as we'll see um you know austria isn't the only person who gets very attached to him the person who is supposed to kill him gets very attached to him and that results in just one of my favorite scenes in the play of this poor kid pleading to this guy who's been his caretaker, please, I am begging you, don't burn my eyes out, please. Um, it's like, it's, such, it's a devastating and like really beautiful scene, but there's something about this kid that um, makes people obviously want to use him as justification for their violence, but also that people get very attached to him, not, not, just, not just his mother. <laughs> other, other characters get very attached to him as well. And then I, as we, as we keep going and we get all of this, the, the blood imagery, I just want uh, to remind the idea that blood has so many different meanings in these plays. Like blood is both um, nourishing. It's like what keeps us alive. It's a symbol of violence. And it's also lineal blood as well. And blood that is passed between these royal families. So sometimes I, I feel like the word can sort of, hold all three of those different meanings um and you see the uh in in richard the second i'm just thinking about richard the second there's this wonderful image of blood manuring the grass being this representation of sort of like civil war um and we're not quite yet to civil war we're still in foreign war but um but we'll get we'll get there we'll get there civil wars just just around the corner ariana i have a question yes mike um so um, at this point, you're saying Shakespeare says that, you know, Arthur's like 17, but when did Richard die? Because he was 12 when Richard died. So that was the, I still need a marker in time oh, yeah. for some reason. So, so Richard, I, I believe, I could be wrong about this. I don't think I have birth and death on my little handmade right. <laughs> um, thing here that I made. Um, but I, I believe that Jeffrey, Arthur's father, um, who is John's older brother, died right. before Richard did. So that's okay. the reason, I think that's the reason that there's this confusion. Because I think if Jeffrey had lived, it would have passed to Jeffrey, right? Uh -huh. But because he died that's before his older brother, there's and because primogeniture was not codified really? yeah the way it no, was during yeah that's very helpful because also Good. the conflation of of you know the the character austria with this other person yeah. you know so that's in the mix too with all of it yes so, always okay. for dramatic effect i think okay <laughs> it's more it's more interesting if one person did that to to richard the second or to richard the first sorry and then i think it's also more dramatically effective if arthur becomes this young kind of helpless boy who's who's tossed around yeah um, so so yeah. he's the pawn that unites all of absolutely you know, and they're they're the definitely pawn. playing him to see who gets the the kingship and the and the and the true power because in these times like 
anyone in the royal family could really claim uh, to be the king, the next king or the heir. It was really about who is backing up your claim. And if you don't have sufficient power backing up your claim, which is what Eleanor pointed out in, in, um, in Act One, she says your strong possession much more than your right, right? Like you having a really solid grip of power over this country is much more important than whatever you think your right is to the throne because you need it to be backed up by people and uh, violence, essentially. Um, yeah. So then we get our first wonderful little Philip Lewis moment where uh, Philip basically says to his son, hey, what do you think we should do? Which I just love. Like, what a fun little detail. <laughs> King Philip, since the English showed up, and he's like, I really was not planning for this. And <laughs> kind of, uh, you know, grambling a little bit. Yes. Somebody else figure it out. Yeah. Hey, and I'm you. A bit like, oh, oh, now? Okay. <laughs> I'll be a kingish sort of a yes. person. Yes. All right. Well, I guess we'll go to war. Okay. <laughs> I wanted to try out my new weapon. Yeah. yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> they they had a really kind of gross term for um, which Liam. I bet you remember. Uh, Liam was a uh, Lancaster when we did a production of. Henry the Fourth, Part One. So he's, you know, the young prince who has all these fights, and um, Prince Hal has this really kind of horrific line at the end of the play where he says, "Come, brother John, full bravely hast thou fleshed thy maiden sword. sword," which is like this really gross term that they would use for like the first time you kill someone, the first time you go to battle, you fleshed your sword, which is like really gross. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's the kind of I guess uh, imagery world that we're that we're residing in. It's a lot of it's a lot of death, a lot of destruction, and we're also we have cannon as well. <laughs> Don't forget all the different types of <laughs> cannon <laughs> as well. So we have there's going to be some interesting language um, of of explosions and um, that that we're gonna that we're gonna get to. Lewis, determine what we shall do straight. Women and fools, break off your conference. <clears throat> King John, this is the very sum of all. England and Ireland, Angiers, Terrain, Maine, in right of Arthur do I claim of thee. Wilt thou resign them and lay down thy arms? My life is soon. I do defy thee, France. Arthur of Breton, yield thee to my hand, and out of my dear love I'll give thee more than e'er the coward hand of France can win. Submit thee, boy. Come to thy grandam, child. Do, child. Go to it, grandam, child. Give grandam kingdom, and it, grandam, will give it a plum, a cherry, and a fig. There's a good grandam. Good my mother, peace. I would that I were low laid in my grave. I am not worth this coil that's made for me. His mother shames him so. Poor boy, he weeps. No shame upon you, whether she does or no. His grandam's wrongs, and not his mother's shames, draws those heaven-moving pearls from his poor eyes, which heaven shall take in nature of a fee. Ay, with these crystal beads, heaven shall be bribed to do him justice and revenge on you. Thou monstrous slanderer of heaven and earth. Thou monstrous injurer of heaven and earth. Call not me slanderer. 
thou and thine usurp the dominations, royalties, and rights of this oppressive boy. This is thy eldest son's son, and fortunate in nothing but in thee, thy sins are visited in this poor child. The canon of the law is laid on him, being but the second generation removed from thy sin-conceiving womb. Bedlam have done. I have but this to say, that he is not only plagued for her sin, but God hath made her sin and her the plague. On this removed issue, plague for her, and with her plague, her sin is injury, her injury the beetle to her sin, all punished in the person of this child, all and all for her, a plague upon her. Thou unadvised scold, I can produce a will that bars the title of thy son. Ay, mm, who doubts that? A will, a wicked will, a woman's will, a cankered grandam's will. Peace, lady, pause, or be more temperate. It ill beseems this presence to cry aim to these ill-tuned repetitions. Some trumpet summon hither to the walls, these men of Angiers. Let us hear them speak whose title they admit, Arthur's or John's. Great. So now we have an arbitrating judge <laughs> to get like, they're, I love that they're unable between these two factions to make any decision. So they're like, all right, so this town that's right here, we're going to ask them to figure this out for us. Which all right, guys. A somewhat awkward position, I imagine. Yeah. <laughs> oh, exactly. Like, Who's your king? No yeah. one's going to die if you say the wrong answer, you know? Yeah, exactly. Well, and as we'll see, that they're going to get really pissed off with this town, and they're just going to be like, you know what? Fuck it. We'll turn all of our cannons on you, and then we'll... It's just like, it's so dark. It's so dark. So we we've now, again, we have this this demand from the French side, which is essentially, John, like, give us your crown so we can give it to Arthur. But it's interesting that they're, they're not claiming it for themselves, right? They're claiming it for Arthur. So there's, there's a, a degree of sort of, there's this, like, we're doing this on someone else's behalf. We're so virtuous, are we? Um, I love this little Constance bit where she's like, oh, yes, give Grandam kingdom. Grandam will give you a piece of pie. Like, it's just such a, like, like You're insulting me. Yeah. And then poor Arthur is just like, can we stop now? I really wish I was dead because I'm really, it's not worth all of these people. You know, like, I just imagine that Arthur is just looking around and seeing literally 30,000 people ready to kill each other over him. And he's just like, I don't like this. Can we, can we just pause? Let's, let's stop here. It's obviously not this uh, comedic and ridiculous, but he kind of reminds me of that little prince in Monty Python and the Holy Grail, who's like, one day all this will be yours. Well, the curtains. Oh my god! He just wants to sing. This oh, is so I much more that. real, but like it kind of reminds me of that. Like this kid just I want. love that. In fact, I'm <laughs> always happy when Monty Python has any sort of 
cross over into into Shakespeare. It's it's always it's always a good time. <laughs> um, so then we have more Constance Eleanor back and forth. I Danny, tell me about this speech. The the plagued for her sin. Her sin. The plague. The plague. Sin. Plague. Plague. Sin. This was. This is. I. I. I struggle with sort of piecing out the meaning of this speech. Did Did you have some. Uh, some. Some insight into into it. Well, um, the most I can, you know, because they're talking about um, uh, who cheated on who. <laughs> uh, it's like you know that's like. A sin. It's like your 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 just your your sin. Your plague is in your blood or something. I yeah. I don't know. It's it's almost as if so. Like like her sin is like the 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 um the lackey to her 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 uh I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No. I think you're. I think you're absolutely right. I think it has to do with this. Her sins are being visited on Arthur because they share blood. Something. Yeah, something yeah. sort of like poor that. Boy, because you're, poor you're boy. Right? Yeah. And let us always remember that Eleanor was so she led civil wars against her husband and her son. Some of her sons uh, led civil wars against her. So much so that um, her husband, Henry II, locked her up for the last 10 years of his life because he was like, no, I've had it. No more, no more wars, Eleanor. You're, you're going to stay in Dover Castle and not come out until I'm dead because I've, I've, I'm too much civil war. <laughs> um, so there's, I think there's many sins to which we can attribute that Constance may be talking about. Um, but yeah, very, very contentious. Like you would not want to be at this family's Thanksgiving. I feel like that would <laughs> really suck. <laughs> it would just be really, really intense. Um, and, and King John, what, what is your take on this situation so far? You're about to have an awesome speech. Just, but... just all of you shut the hell up. <laughs> stop. My crown. <laughs> Mine. It, right it's it's like is has no one i'm right here yeah i'm i'm the king <laughs> fuck y'all <laughs> i i like that interpretation i think i think it's very strong very strong I, I think i think as an actor if i were playing the role i might i might take a little bit of that frustration into this the next speech just like it's for you on the wall and it's also for these idiots behind me here yeah <laughs> absolutely <laughs> I think there's a lot of uh, moments where you can sort of choose where is this the speech directed to, and I think yeah. that's that's really cool. Like the more variation that it can be before the gathered people. There's also there's just a lot of people on stage. I'm just thinking like as a director, you'd really have to kind of carefully choreograph this depending on your audience setup. Um, I was watching a production that the Stratford Festival of Ontario did a couple of years ago and they had a really cool, it was like this big three quarter thrust stage. And they, they did some really interesting stuff with, with staging, but it was also like, it just gets really crowded at a certain point. You kind of got to push people to the back of the stage and bring them forward. And it's, it's a little bit of a nightmare. Yeah. Uh, I also just wanted, before we get the citizen, I did split it up. Um, but in some editions, the citizen is Hubert. Um, 
because otherwise Hubert comes out of nowhere and we're like, who is this guy? Why, why is the king talking about how much he loves this guy when we've That's never what, met him? When um, I remember seeing it and being like, oh, but I thought Hubert was the guy on the wall and the king yeah. like has a line like, oh, I could use a guy like that in my, you know, retinue, but there's no line like that, obviously. And when, what makes it even more, so I was looking at the folio and what makes it even more confusing is that some of the time it's listed as citizen and some of the citizens lines are listed as Hubert. So it's oh. not really clear from the folio either, but just to give everyone <laughs> more equal line reading, <laughs> I split up the, the citizen and Hubert. So that there's, I just wanted to make a note that it's kind of like, depending on what edition you get, different editors make the decision that these lines are Hubert's or not. Wonderful. So now we're going to get another dueling set of justification speeches uh, from John and Philip and this poor citizen going, why is everything happening to us? <laughs> Who is it that hath warned us to the walls? It's France for England. England for itself. You men of Angiers and my loving subjects. You loving men of Angers, Arthur's subject, our trumpet called you to this gentle parl. For our advantage. Therefore, hear us first. These flags of France that are advanced here before the eye and prospect of your town have hither marched to your endangerment. The cannons have their bowels full of wrath, and ready mounted are they to spit forth their iron indignation against your walls. All preparation for a bloody siege and merciless proceeding by these French confronts your city's eyes, your winking gates. And but for our approach, those sleeping stones that as a waste doth girdle you about by the compulsion of their ordinance, by this time from their fixed beds of lime, had been dishabited and wide havoc made for bloody power to rush upon your peace. But on the sight of us, your lawful king, who painfully with much expedient march have brought a counter check before your gates to save unscratched your city's threatened cheeks. Behold the French amazed, vouchsafe a parl. And now instead of bullets wrapped in fire to make a shaking fever in your walls, they shoot but calm words folded up in smoke to make a faithless error in your ears which trust accordingly, kind citizens, and let us in. Your king, whose labored spirits forewearied in this action of swift speed, craves harborage within your city walls. I just want to pause and be like, how cool is the bullets wrapped in fire and the calm words folded up in smoke? Yes. <laughs> so rad. Wow. Also, I love how King John just keeps going, so we rushed here for you guys, and we're like really tired. So if you could let us in, and he says it like twice within the speech. Yeah. So great. Like we're tired. Don't listen to him. Please we're, just yeah. let us in. <laughs> let us in, please. <laughs> it's great. This play is such a, like, I know we talked before about like how it's such a weird comedy, but yeah. like it's, it's very like soap opera-y to me, like that kind of comedy where they're just sort of like, like, this is so early in the play still. And they're just sort of like, well, yeah, we just came all the way here. So, uh, and, and just like everyone is like, that's such a dream. Like all this language is so dramatic. And like, they come to this thing and these two women are like, oh, 
good to see you. Guess we should probably have a fight right now, huh? And it's just like, it's bananas. Yes. Oh, Olivia, did you have something? I just completely agree. I think it's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> I get, that, that is also me speaking from my character, which we'll get more of, obviously. But like, I think all of these people are crazy. Yes. That is all. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, I was uh, watching a bit of um, uh, Schitt's Creek last night, which had the, um, the wonderful scenes of Moira in her soap opera and the like the triple slap i'm just like i would love to have the triple slap like just put somewhere into this scene <laughs> like we need that shit we need That's the like what it is um but i think what's what's interesting about the comedy too right is that it's not really as with a lot of really great comedy it's not funny for the people who are in this situation it's just supremely funny for the observers of the situation and i think in that way that um, Olivia that the bastard is the sort of he's the one who has the most uh, alone time with the audience and I think in a certain way has the best relationship with the audience because you get all those wonderful soliloquies and I, I, I do wonder if there is an element of someone just finding this funny <laughs> that, that can be put into the into the scenes as well for sure yeah <laughs> it kind of makes me wonder you know if Shakespeare wrote this is they some think, you know, after the whole first tetralogy, after Henry VI through Richard III, it almost feels like he wanted to write a history again, but in a different way or so like he wanted to be funnier or something yeah. like that. He was able yeah. to be when he got so darkly into that civil war, you know. But, and I know this gets really dark too, and there's eyes getting burned out and stuff. And it's very, it's still very human and emotional, but there's definitely something almost farcical, like, the King Philip and King John trying to speak first to the citizen before yeah. the other one. It's impossible <laughs> not to see that as funny, you know, like hilarious on stage that these kids yeah. are doing. Yeah. I, I think and it's then, also And then it's like mirrored with Constance and Eleanor, the cat fight. Yeah. You know. Right. And, and that's, you know, they're just slinging around that whole blood thing again. You know, and you sinned, you sinned, your blood is bad, bad. <laughs> and it's, it's really, it's, it's very, uh, very dramatic. Oh, yeah. Very personal, too. Uh, Julia, did you, did you have something else? I was just like, uh, my brain's just like floating around. But I was, it's sort of funny to me that I, I wonder if this was like, you do something different with this history. Because um, I feel like I know very little about King John, but like the stuff that I do know is like he's known for like Robin Hood folklore and the Magna Carta, and neither of those are in this play. Exactly. So it's, it's sort of like he wanted to be like, okay, cool, we'll do a history, but like we're gonna do it about like the B sides. I can take even more liberties with. Yes. Oh, I like that. That's really fun. I wish there was a Robin Hood play. That would be so fun. But yeah. Like I mean, you, you kind of were the Robin Hood character. Oh, yeah. That was fun. Oh, that was a fun show, man. That's only Shakespeare like, in the other park. But yes, I, I would agree. I think, I think As You Like It has definitely that, the, the Robin Hood element. Um, has a lot of references to them, to the, yeah. those characters. And the Green Man and all that wonderful mythology. And yeah. I, lo I love it. Um, so we have this wonderful um, calm words folded up in smoke. And then we have 
King Philip, who this is his uh, response. This is his debate prep. (laughs) (laughs) When I have said, make answer to us both. Lo, in this right hand, whose protection is most divinely vowed upon the right of him it holds, stands young Plantagenet, son to the elder brother of this man, and king o'er him, and all that he enjoyed. For this downtrodden equity, we tread in warlike march these greens before your town, being no further enemy to you than the constraint of hospitable zeal in the relief of this oppressed child religiously provoked. Be pleased then to pay that duty which you truly owe to him that owes it, namely, this young prince. And then our arms, like to a muzzled bear, save an aspect, hath all offense sealed up. Our cannon's malice vainly shall be sent against the invulnerable clouds of heaven and with a blessed and unvexed retire with unhacked swords and helmets all unbruised we will bear home that lusty blood again which here we came to spout against your town and leave your children wives and you in peace but if you fondly pass our proffered offer Tis not the roundure of your old face walls can hide you from our messengers of war. Though all these English and their discipline were harbored in their rude circumference. Then tell us, shall your city call us Lord in that behalf which we have challenged it? Or shall we give the signal to our rage and stock in blood to our possessions? In brief, we are the King of England's subjects for him, and in his right, we hold this town. Acknowledge then the king and let me in. Uh, That we cannot, Uh, but he that proves the king to him, we will prove loyal. Till that time, have we rammed up our gates against the world? Doth not the crown of England prove the king? And if not that, I bring you witnesses. Twice 15,000 hearts of England's, England's breed. Bastards and else. To verify our title with their lives. As many and as well-born bloods as those. Some bastards too. Stand in his face to contradict his claim. Till you compound whose right is worthiest, we, for the worthiest, hold the right from both then God forgive the sin of all those souls that to their everlasting residence before the dew of evening fall shall fleet in dreadful trial of our kingdom's king. Amen, amen. Mount Chevalier to arms. St. George that swing the dragon and there since sits on horseback at mine hostess door, teach us some fence. Sirrah, were I at home at your den? Sirrah, with your lioness? I would set Knox's head to your lion's hide and make a monster of you. Peace, no more. Ooh, tremble for you hear the lion roar. Up higher to the plain where we'll set forth in best appointment all our regiments. Speed then to take advantage of the field. It shall be so, and at the other hill command the rest to stand. God and our right. Awesome. So... We have this culmination. I love how the citizen is just kind of bending over backwards. It's like, yep, we're loyal to the king 
when we know who that is, it's like very logical and diplomatic, something that neither of the other sides is sort of managing well at this point. Um, I love this, this, the bastard moment where he's like St. George, like he did that one thing, but he's been sitting at a tavern like since he killed that dragon. So if he could just teach us some, some fencing ability, that would be rad. I just love that line. And then that he just continues to go after Austria and is like, you know what? I'm going to make you a cuckold and I'll take your lion hide. Like, it's just amazing. So many good insults. Um, <laughs> any thoughts before we, we have our excursions? I, I just like the idea that England's like, yeah, we, we really don't want the war. You, you two work it out. We'll, we'll wait. <laughs> we'll wait. We can wait. We'll wait. <laughs> exactly. Um, I love uh, Robin, uh, our wonderful dramaturg, has, has always said, you know, people say like, oh, well, Shakespeare had to be a soldier because there's so many battles. And it's like, yeah, but the battles are usually like, here, after excursions, they fight, someone dies. <laughs> like, I don't think you need to be a soldier to like have that, <laughs> that kind of uh, military knowledge. But yeah, so then, so we've had our, we've had the heads of state. So now they've gone off, they've gone off to, apparently there are these like twin hills because everything in this play is doubled. So, and, and they're all going to the, get the best vantage of the field and they're, they're all ready, but we don't really see any of this. This happens off stage, which is a great way to save on budget and also a great way to not have to do fights um at this point because um i i was doing a production a while ago where we were doing original rehearsal practices which meant that we were raising a show in one and a half days and when you raise a show in one and a half days it turns out that the things you need to spend the most time on are the fights and the dances and anything that has choreography because it's like everything else you can kind of wing as long as you're listening to your scene partner but like that shit where someone could actually, where it needs to look good is the stuff that, that really takes up rehearsal time, which was a, an interesting discovery. Um, so in this, in this we, don't, we, don't need, uh, we don't need to see any, any active fighting, just some, some nice old noise. Um, so then enter these, these two heralds who are gonna say that they've both won. Um, I was really excited that we started this play like the day after election because yeah, it just seemed appropriate. <laughs> um, all right, so our French and English heralds. You men of Angiers open wide your gates and let young Arthur Duke of Bret, uh, sorry, Britain? I think Britain or Britain, either way. Because I think it's Brittany, but... Um, Young Arthur, Duke of Bretagne, in, who by the hand of France this day hath made much work for tears and many an English mother whose sons lie scattered on the bleeding ground. Many a widow's husband grovel, uh, groveling lies, coldly embracing the discolored earth and victory with little loss doth play upon the dancing banners of the French who are at hand triumphantly displayed to enter conquerors and to proclaim Arthur of Britain, England's king and yours. Rejoice, you men of Angers. Ring your bells. King John, your king and England, doth approach commander of this hot, malicious day. 
their armors that marched hence so silver bright, hither return all guilt with Frenchmen's blood. There stuck no plume in any English crest that is removed by a staff of France. Our colors do return in those same hands that did display them when we first marched forth. And like a jolly troop of huntsmen come our lusty English all with purpled hands, died in the dying slaughter of their foes. Open your gates and give the victors way. Heralds, from off our towers we might behold from first to last the onset and retire of both your armies, whose equality by our best eyes cannot be censured. Blood hath bought, bl hath bought blood, and blows have answered blows. Strength matched with strength, and power confronted power. Both are alike, and both alike we like. Uh, one must prove greatest while they weigh. So even we hold our town for neither, yet for both. So I think this, this <laughs> harkens a little bit back to medieval battles, where to a certain extent, it was kind of determined by the onlookers, like who had won the battle, like people would watch the battle. Um, and this is kind of, I think, a, a crazy notion to us, because I think we think of a very immersive battle where it's about, you know. But anyway, I, 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 it's a very theatrical image of, of the town sort of watching the battle I kind of imagine that the town is up where the balcony would be in the globe stage and they're like up at the gate and they're watching the battle, which would be out in the audience or something like that so that they can see it, but the audience can't. The audience becomes the, the soldiers or something. It's interesting that, so we had all those words, they were equal and equal. And then now we had all these blows and they seem to be equally winning. <laughs> Too much winning. Yes, Meg. <laughs> well, it's, it's sort of like, you know, here we have the, the two kings battling over this town, just like they're battling over Arthur. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. That's wonderful. And so one is, one is the personage, and then you, the whole, the whole uh, battle is then magnified into a whole town with many people involved and many lives involved. And, you know, then he, he mentions the wives, the children. So all these families then have to be uh, sorted out, so to Absolutely speak. torn apart. I mean, it's something that we, uh, is one of my sort of favorite discoveries to, and things to track in the, in the history plays is who's fighting these wars about blood, you know? Yes, the royal families are involved, but all of these citizens just get, pressed exactly. and pushed they just they give them in a weapon and they're like oh fight for me and it's like what is their like why are they fighting um may i ask a, a clarification question about that yes, because please. i i mean to me the comedy of the scene it read the citizen the the main citizen whatever yes. that means being the <laughs> one who's like hey we're in here we're just gonna hide you guys deal with it yeah. um and call us later <laughs> <laughs> to clarify that, um, are we to assume in this play that there are any of the people within the walls of the town being involved in what's going on out here? Oh, that's a great question. I, I, I assume think... they, they were not. Yes, they were like, I think oh, that's yeah. right. 
I think you're I absolutely right. Um, I think this is the, the, the French and the, the English troops and the, the, all of these little Northwestern French provinces that are technically under English control. But mm. I, I think the sense is that the citizens are in the stronghold of the city, which when you, it's, it's really nice when you've got a city and you've got those gates because that is really great protection. Um, as we, uh, and, and there, I think you're absolutely right. They're sort of hiding and being like, guys, like, just come to us when you've decided who's doing what, like, please don't get us involved. <laughs> because yeah, it's, again, it's, it's like, what does it really matter to these citizens who the king is? They know it's, it's who they have to pay taxes to, but essentially, you know, like, you do wonder to what extent people care the people that are outside of the royal family you know care about these these power moves um, if, if you wanted to play it up for comedy you could have the citizen be the the love the love interest and and france and england are like are fighting for the citizens <laughs> affections <laughs> and so it's gonna be like well they no. both you both are so wonderful You're i don't <laughs> <laughs> I'm it's not sure a bachelor, who I... but French province style <laughs> yeah. or something. Yeah. Like, wow. Yeah. I, no, I love I that. Want... That's great. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a bit much, but if absolutely. But I think you know, it's you got to find this. What are the stakes for the people fighting? To me, is always is always like interesting. And and when there are, you know, as we'll see, Falstaff in Henry the Fourth Part One comments like, "What the hell is honor anyway? It's a word." Like, what does it mean? Does it give you anything? No, it can't help you. It can't give you rich, you know, it's, it's a word. Um, and there's, there's a wonderful sort of dissection of the sort of received wisdom about nobility and honor. It's already, you know, this, this sort of commentary that, that, that runs. And I think we're gonna get that a bit with the bastard and his speech at the end of this, this scene of like yeah these people say something but as soon as like something advantageous comes their way i'll just swing towards that that's yeah. also like the ridiculousness of that and like the way that like the citizens are like the way that this is presented like you were saying before about like if you have to actually choreograph a battle versus like what they're doing here and the way that they set it up with these two heralds i mean it feels like two commentators on like a really <laughs> ridiculous like over the top like <laughs> sports game uh, but also like by doing that like we the audience are now laughing at like how absurd and like aggressive these like these kings are that they yeah. just sort of like show up and they're like well, all right i guess we'll fight and then like we're just we're standing here watching these heralds describe it like <laughs> continuing to like it's continuing to set this tone of like this is something to be laughed at this is something to be laughed at until later when they're like oh no 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 this person got their eyes burned out or whatever yeah yeah it's and like, i think it, it, we're like continuing to get that comedy like we're laughing at this battle absolutely and i think for me the big the big turn uh happens when arthur is separated from his mother and the language in that scene and her grief is it, it kind of just cuts through the language that we've seen before when she, when she appears. 
Um, and it, it, it makes you realize that there are actual li lives in the, in the mix. But I totally agree. I think there is something so comedic. And actually, it was interesting watching this filmed production in front of a live audience. They were just like rolling in the aisles for the first two acts. They were just like laughing it up. And I was like, this is so great. I, I would hope that an audience, you know, watching this would have this reaction of just like, these people are insane. They're, did they, oh my God, get some couple counseling and like calm down. You know, <laughs> it's like, whoa. Family therapy. <laughs> yeah, family therapy. They're all related. That's the other thing. It's like, guys, come on. Anyway, so now we have part like six of uh, Philip versus John <laughs> so far in this scene. <laughs> so everyone now enters after the Heralds did their thing. France, hast thou yet more blood to cast away? Say, shall the current of our right run on, whose passage, vexed with thy impediment, shall leave his native channel and or swell with course disturbed? Even thy confining shores, un uh, unless thou let his silver water keep a peaceful progress to the ocean. England, thou hast not saved one drop of blood in this hot trial more than we of France, rather lost more. And by this hand, I swear that sways the earth this climate overlooks, before we will lay down our just-born arms, we'll put thee down, gets whom these arms we bear or add a royal number to the dead, gracing the scrolls that tells of this war's loss with slaughter coupled to the name of king. Ah, oh, majesty, how high thy glory towers when the rich blood of kings is set on fire. Oh, now doth death line his dead chaps with steel. The swords of soldiers are his teeth, his fangs, and now he feasts, mousing the flesh of men in undetermined differences of kings. Why stand these royal fronts, amazed thus? Cry havoc, kings, back to the stained field, you equal potents, fiery kindled spirits. Then let confusion of one part confirm together's peace. Till then blows blood and death. Whose party do the townsmen yet admit? Speak, citizens, for England, who's your king? Uh, the king of England? When we know the king. Oh, God. Know him in us that here uphold his right. In us that are our own great deputy and bear possession of our person here, lord of our presence, Angiers, and of you. A greater power than we denies all this until it be undoubted we do lock our formal scruple in our strong barred gates. Kings of our fear until our fears resolved by be by some certain king purged and deposed. By heaven, these scroils of Angiers flout you, kings, and stand securely on their battlements as in a theater whence they gape and point at your industrious scenes and acts of death. Your royal presences be ruled by me. Do like the mutines of Jerusalem, be friends a while, and both conjointly bend your sharpest deeds of malice on this town. By east and west, let France and England mount their battering cannon, charge it to the mouths, till their soul-fearing clamors have brawled down the flinty ribs of this contemptuous city. I'd play incessantly upon these jades, even till unfenced desolation leave them as naked as the vulgar air. That done, 
dissever your united strengths, and part your mingled colors once again. Turn face to face and bloody point to point. Then in a moment, fortune shall call forth out of one side her happy minion, to whom in favor she shall give the day and kiss him with a glorious victory. How like you this wild council, mighty states? Smacks it not something of the policy? Now by the sky that hangs above our heads, I like it well. France, shall we knit our powers and lay this Angiers even with the ground, then after fight who shall be king of it? And if thou hast the mettle of a king, being wronged as we are by this peevish town, turn now the mouth of thy artillery as we will ours against these saucy walls. And when that we have dashed them to the ground, why then defy each other and pell-bell make work upon ourselves for heaven or hell? Let it be so. Say, where will you assault? We from the west will send destruction into this city's bosom. I from the north. Our thunder from the south shall rain their drift of bullets on this town. Oh, prudent discipline. From north to south, Austria and France shoot in each other's mouth. I'll stir them to it. Come away! Away! <laughs> Hear us, great kings. Okay, I'm gonna pause there just before we have this. Hang on, hold on, hold on. Wait, 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 wait. Hold up. I've got an idea. Like, how crazy is this plan? I mean, it's kind of brilliant. It's such a joke. It's such a joke. (laughs) Yeah. This this idea, like, okay, we'll destroy the town and then decide who gets it. Yeah. It's it's very much the Monty Python approach to things. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we'll kill them all and then afterward enslave them. Yes, indeed. When there's oh no one left. Oh my god. When there's no one left. When Amazing. Um, I also had a question for you, Olivia, about the, um, the Ha Majesty speech. I, the yes, way, okay. When I, you were I was going to be like, I was like, I, question I think that must be to the audience until you turn to the kings or something. If that's like a private moment. Or, or if the, or if the whole thing's public, what do, you, what do you, what was your instinct there? I actually wanted to ask and like clarify as well. I feel like what I imagined in my mind's eye is we all met on the field a bit. We come back. I, cl- I clearly loved it at yeah. least a little bit at the beginning. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, like this is everything. And I think, but like truthfully, like I do think this also belies a lot about his character, at least at the stage. Like, this is exactly what I read about in the books. Like, I can't believe, like, this is really what we're all like here. Like, yes. And then I look back, but they're just standing there. Round two, come on. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. And then the the plan develops. So like, hilarious in that way, but like truthfully, clearly his leanings toward the martial and like the physical conflict of it, one are very different and two also seem to belie a sort of like, yeah, what he thought this life was like, so mm. or going to be like, I think. So he's very excited, I think he's very jazzed about it and he wants to get back to it. And he truly doesn't understand when he's like, let's go. And then like, <laughs> they're just like there. Also, I, I, I realized that um, by, your plan means that you get three battles in a day instead of one or two. You've like made up a third battle that like was not planned, which is kind of amazing. Um, 
yeah and I think it's genuinely gonna be fun yeah like yeah. let's see what what will happen yeah. next I haven't done a siege yet let me do a siege yeah yeah <laughs> Meg <laughs> Yeah, well, I think it's amazing because the Vassar is the one that's really describing, um, you know, war as this cannibalistic feast of just mm. feasting on the blood. And, you know, this, these lines of like, the swords of soldiers are his teeth, his fangs, and now he feasts on the flesh of men. I mean, that's really intense. <laughs> yeah. That is very intense. And again, more of the blood the blood, the blood, the blood. Yeah. You know. Absolutely. I think there's a, a strong blood lust that kind of runs through a lot of the, the talk of destruction. There's like this kind of eagerness of like, I want to see it. <laughs> and it's beautiful that the bastard who has, doesn't have the blood lineage. Yeah. Doesn't have the power lineage is the one that's delivering this message. Yeah. You know? Oh, absolutely. That's Almost a wonderful like point. The fool. I think he's very much a fool figure in in this like he speaks truth to power like almost no exactly. one in this play does and there is a he has a, a freedom within this high yeah. status that a lot of these people are very do, do not have to fight very hard and he just sort of walked into it like they're like I like you would you like to be a part of our family it's like yeah, that sounds great. I'd love to be a part of the royal family. Uh, it's a very interesting character. You know, Ab absolutely. I, I agree. I feel like, yeah, again, like, whereas in Act 1, he was a bit more... The talking part of it still is not, like, totally computing, but, like, mm -hmm. his commitment to whatever war means, he's still learning, but I, he's clearly, yeah, probably a little bit too excited about it <laughs> truthfully such such that with the plant with the siege plan right he's more committed to getting this done and the excitement of that than he is like well let's deal with these people like he's not <laughs> yeah. let's shoot this town <laughs> it's very like, yeah. let's blow it up do we have a bigger cannon absolutely so this poor town that was like okay guys like why don't you decide and then all of a sudden all of like three armies are pointing their guns at this town and so i think in a quite a stroke of genius because let's 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 have another kind of blood uh mingling here <laughs> this is the plan of the of the citizen and hopefully uh uh, more than one otherwise this poor guy is just like doing all of this for this town it, like is he the mayor who is he I don't know but I, I want to know more <laughs> he's the guy he's like that one guy who's just really good at making speeches at the yeah. town meeting everyone's like you go you talk to them you're the one and actually we're gonna have a wonderful uh the next bastard speech is gonna be about how well this guy talks which I think I can't remember if I mentioned this, but um, in 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 our Act One or in or this was Richard the Second, but there's there's a wonderful uh, moment at the beginning of Book Thinking Shakespeare where um, the author talks about how in Shakespeare people who are attractive it's because they speak well, so so those things are what kind of it also is what you know what like when King John has that moment of the calm words folded up in smoke we all just go oh. 
nice. Like he speaks well, you know? Um, so it's, it's, it's a great moment for, it's not just for other characters, but I feel like it's also for the audience that like when, when the characters have awesome speeches, it, it also draws us in too. Cause we're like, I also uh, had a thought just based on that town talk we were just having, like this sort of parallel between Arthur and uh, Angier, the town, like both these armies are trying to take this town, both these armies want to take Arthur and make him what they want him to be. This doesn't bode well for Arthur, that the plan of both armies became, okay, we're not protecting the town, we're now yeah. going to destroy the town because the town's bugging us, you know, and everybody wants Arthur to do what they want with him. There's something very unsettling about any of these people talking about protecting this kid when they're all about to kill a bunch of innocent people in this town that at one point they also talked about protecting the town. Yeah. So there's this something inexorably frightening about all these people surrounding Arthur in a, in a strange way. I think it gets accentuated as the play goes on, but something really unsettling about these people around this arguably innocent and very nice little boy. Yeah, I, I like that too, that they had sworn to protect this town and now they're gonna destroy it. And they're, all these people have sworn to protect Arthur and now actually with this plan that the citizen comes up with is, is really gonna ultimately destroy him as well. So with that in mind, Arthur, <laughs> would you also <laughs> be the citizen as well? <laughs> Thanks, Liam. Convenient casting. Hear us, great kings. Vouchsafe a while to stay, and I shall show you peace in fair-faced league. Win you this city without stroke or wound. Rescue those breathing lives to die in beds that here come sacrifices for the field. Persever not, but hear me, mighty kings. Speak on with favor. We are bent to hear. That daughter there of Spain, the Lady Blanche, is near to England. Look upon the years of Louis the Dauphin and that lovely maid. If lusty love should go in quest of beauty, where should he find it fairer than in Blanche? If zealous love should go in search of virtue, where should he find it purer than in Blanche? If love sought a match of birth, whose veins bound richer blood than Lady Blanche, such as she is, in beauty, virtue, birth, is the young dauphin every way complete. If not complete of, say, he is not she. And she again wants nothing to name want, if not be want, that she is not he. He is the half part of a blessed man, left to be furnished by such as she. And she a fair divided excellence whose fullness of perfection lies in him. Oh, two such silver currents when they join do glorify the banks that bound them in. And two such shores to such streams made one. Though two such controlling bounds shall you be, kings, to these two princes, if you marry them. This union shall do more than battery can to our fast-closed gates, for at this match with swifter spleen than powder can enforce, the mouth of passage shall we fling wide open and give you entrance. But without this match, the sea enraged is not half so deaf, lions more confident, mountains and rocks more free from motion, 
No, not death itself in mortal fury, half so peremptory as we to keep this city. Here's a stave that shakes the rotten carcass of old death out of his rags. He's a large mouth indeed that spits forth death and mountains, rocks, and seas. Talks as familiarly of roaring lions as maids of thirteen do of puppy dogs. What cannoner begot this lusty blood? He speaks plain cannon fire and smoke and bounce. He gives the bastinado with his tongue. Our ears are cudgeled, not a word of his, but buffets better than a fist of France. Soons, I was never so bethumped with words since I first called my brother's father dad. Son, list to this conjunction, make this match. Give with our niece a dowry large enough, for by this knot thou shalt so surely tie thy now unsured assurance to the crown that yon green boy shall have no son to ripe the bloom that promiseth the mighty fruit. I see a yielding in the look of the looks of France. Mark how they whisper. Urge them while their souls are capable of this ambition, lest zeal, now melted by the windy breath of soft petitions, pity and remorse, cool and congeal again to what it was. Why answer not the double majesties, this friendly treaty of our threatened town? I'm just going to pause here for a moment and just say bounce, because I had to look this up, because I was like, bounce? What is he doing? Like, Fire, cannon fire and smoke and bounce. Bounce here means explosion, um, which is really interesting. I wouldn't associate that. It's pretty cool. I also love dad just sounds so contemporary. Like I, I can't think of another time in Shakespeare that someone says dad instead of father. You know, um, <laughs> you know that one scene in Hamlet where uh, the ghost appears and he's like, dad, daddy, you know, that great scene. I am thy dad's spirit. You know, like, I, like, I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, it's, it's <laughs> just sticks out. It, it, to me, it makes the, um, it makes the bastard contemporary. Like he just sounds more in our realm than in the other character's realm. And what do you think? Do you think this is to everyone? Do you think this is to the audience? Well, how would you, um, how do you think you would want to, Direct I, speech, I guess. I do think this one is to the audience. Mm, mm-hmm. Given and not to the assembled parties. Uh, I think it could be to the assembled parties, but I think I would like to try it just, I mean, as if there's an audience, um, to the audience in respect of the fact that while I think he looks up to this guy, I think it's fun for him to be like, wow, how great, like sincerely yeah. about this guy. I don't. I'm not a fan. I'm not necessarily a fan of what ends up being offered and the deal that's being made. So I don't yes. want to, so I want to like, just like be like, wow, what a cool guy to my, like to my audience friends first and yeah. see where this goes. Yeah, absolutely. And you can like appreciate the power of his words and still disagree with the, the plan that, the, that the, these kings are going to agree to. It also, Absolutely. this whole little section shows to me that Eleanor is just, again, it's like the, poli- the political smarts. Of, she's like, hey, man, you make this deal, Arthur's out of the picture. Yeah. Like, there's no way that he can, because then we'd be bound in blood, not violence, but family. Um, usually a cause of violence in these places as well, but it is, it is pretty, it's, it's interesting. The, the And once again, the like the women know what's up and the men don't 
aren't making the connections, <laughs> interestingly <laughs> enough. Well, they're, they're thinking a couple steps ahead, right? <laughs> yeah. They're like, this is what this means, son. Do it. And like, yeah. you know, he's going to come in and be like, this is what that meant, you idiots. You know? like, <laughs> exactly. But the men are like, hmm. Sounds nice. You know, like, hmm, interesting proposition. I do love that, you know, like Shakespeare couldn't have written this scene with Constance in it because she would like this part of the scene. She would she would be like, Are you kidding me? Like from the beginning of that speech. But it's like yeah. very convenient that she's put she's sad and passionate somehow at the tent without having been here, as we find out at the end of this <laughs> scene. Um, anyway, so the citizen says, hey guys, how, how do we like this plan? <laughs> speak England first, that has been forward first to speak unto this city. What say you? If at the Dauphin there, thy princely son can in this book of beauty read, I love, her dowry shall weigh equal with a queen. For Anjou and fair terrain, Maine, Poitiers, and all that we upon this side the sea, except this city now by us besieged, find liable to our crown and dignity, shall gild her bridal bed and make her rich in titles, honors, and promotions, as she in beauty, um, education, blood holds hand with any princess of the world what sayest thou boy look in the lady's face i do my lord and in her eye i find a wonder or a wondrous miracle the shadow of myself formed in her eye which being but the shadow of your son becomes a son and makes your son a shadow I do pr protest I've never loved myself till now in fixed beheld, till now in fixed I beheld myself drawn in the flattering table of her eye. Drawn in the flattering table of her eye, <laughs> hanged in the frowning wrinkle of her brow and quartered in her heart. He doth espy himself love's traitor. This is pity now that hanged and drawn and quartered there should be in, in such a love so vile a lout as he. I just wanted to pause and say, right, so that drawn, right, he's seeing himself drawn, but then also drawn, hanged, drawn and quartered is the uh, punishment for being convicted of treason during this time, which is a disgusting process. That's like basically killing you three times. Um, and you can hear more about it on Richard II, Act One. So we go into really disgusting detail about it. But yeah, I, I love that this ridiculous war is now balanced with this ridiculous. So suddenly they're in love. They just met and he sees himself in her eye. That's what really blows my mind. I've never heard anyone be like, I, like I've never seen myself so beautiful in a woman's eyes before. Like, wow, I do love her. Like, I can't think of a more self-involved, like, first of all, he says, I protest, I never loved myself till now I saw, like, the lady doth protest way too much about that one. And, my God, to fall in love with someone because you look great in their eye, that really is a character. 
character. Oh my yeah, god! I mean... It says a lot. But I was also like wondering, definitely based on how Patrick, how you were reading it, how it's like somehow I'm gonna make this work. I don't know how. <laughs> I'm gonna come up with some reason why I'm really in love with her now, and I think this is it. That I every time. Yeah, that every I like time myself? I look at her, yeah, every time I look at her, I'll just look really deep into her eyes and see my own reflection, and then I'll be like, oh, yeah. wow. Okay, yeah, okay, great. <laughs> I can respect myself being with this person, great. Poor Blanche. I know. I know. Oh, like, my God. Throwing her under the bus, I don't know why. Dynastic just like... marriages are just pits, man. Yeah. <laughs> they suck. Yeah. <laughs> Um, also, like the flattering <laughs> table of her eye, like what the fuck? <laughs> like, yeah, just drawn in the like a, a table, flattering table, like what? Uh, it's ridiculous. She's clearly bookish and well read. Yeah. <laughs> or it's like Ash. that the the courtly language of love. You know, I think that's what we're we're seeing and what we we see in Blanche. There's something very studied about it and it's not um it's not like for example like romeo and juliet the way that they talk to each other when they first meet there's a, a bit of the the courtship but it kind of tumbles over into very fiery passion like very quickly um and this is like to me this is like very like oh my lady she's it's there's something like very removed somehow emotional. It was staged. It's very staged. Yeah, yeah. And it's and this and once again, you know, the Dauphin is asked to in an instant become the part he was meant to play <laughs> his whole life. Be the prince and fall in love so we can have a marriage and have peace. Go. Do it. <laughs> Great. Yeah, absolutely. I mean it's it as much as a, I, I sort of very much uh, like a sort of Marxist analysis of, of, these, uh, of this particular monarchy, I think you've also got to think it was probably not that easy to be born into these families. Um, just in terms of you kind of lose a huge amount of control over what you want, um, particularly when it comes to... Uh, marriage and choosing your life partner i mean there's just not very much say that you have it's whatever makes diplomatic sense at the time um yeah you probably wouldn't even know until it was time you know so that's 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 it's rough something to um so I, now I we'll, just, yeah sorry I, go just ahead, re, I just i just rewatched game of thrones and i we don't have to go on too far but they did there's so many great relationships relationships in that that are stolen directly from all these plays and uh oh yeah completely i just think like rob stark i don't think i would watch it but rob stark marries the person he loves and it was supposed yeah. to get married to someone else and it's just yeah. stolen from the from the great works of shakespeare yes indeed <laughs> <laughs> and particularly the history plays i mean he really just kind of took war of the roses and added some magic and yeah. <laughs> and dragons <laughs> i took a lot of this stuff from the war of the roses i saw in some interview he said, but I mean, this, the name Stark and Lannister sounds awfully familiar to York and Lancaster. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know. exactly, exactly. Um, and yeah, those those Northern lords they got to fight with the wildlings, aka the, the Scottish? Olympics. Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> for sure. For Scotland, 
Um, so anyway. I feel worse for the Irish representation in those books because the Iron Islanders are just like, they're just messed up, like weird, awful, incesty people who drink yeah. too much, which yeah. I don't appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> Again, they got othered. They got they, othered they hardcore. Got othered. <laughs> um, so let's hear poor Blanche's very, very uh, elegant response to this drawing of flattering tables and eyes. My uncle's will in this respect is mine. If he see aught in you that makes him like that anything he sees which moves his liking, I can with ease translate it to my will. Or if you will, to speak more properly, I will enforce it easily to my love. Further, I will not flatter you, my lord, that all I see in you is worthy love than this, that nothing do I see in you, though churlish thoughts themselves should be or judge that I can find should merit any hate. What say these young ones? What say you, my niece? That she is bound in honor still to do, that you in what you in wisdom still vouchsafe to say. Speak then, Prince Dauphin. Can you love this lady? Nay, ask me if I can refrain from love, for I do love her most unfeignedly. Then I do give Volquesson, Touraine, Maine, Poitiers, and Anjou, these five provinces, with her to thee, and this edition more. Full 30,000 marks of English coin. Philip of France, if thou be pleased with all, command thy son and daughter to join hands. I likes us well. Young princes, close your hands. And your lips, too, for I am well assured I did so when I was first assured. Now, citizens of Angers, Ope your gates, let in that amity which you have made, for at St. Mary's Chapel presently the rites of marriage shall be solemnized. Is not the Lady Constance in this troop? I know she is not, for this match made up, her presence would have interrupted much. Where is she and her son? Tell me, who knows? She is sad and passionate at your highness' tent. And by my faith, this league that we have made will give her sadness very little cure. Brother of England, how may we content this widow lady? In her right we came, which we, God knows, have turned another way to our own vantage. We will heal up all, and we'll create young Arthur, Duke of Breton, and Earl of Richmond. And this rich fair town we make him lord of. Call the Lady Constance, some speedy messenger bid her repair to our solemnity. I trust we shall, if not fill up the measure of her will, yet in some measure satisfy her so that we shall stop her exclamation. Go we as well as haste will suffer us to this unlooked for, unprepared pump. Mad world, mad king's mad composition? John, to stop Arthur's title in the whole, hath willingly departed with a part. And France, whose armor conscience buckled on, whom zeal and charity brought to the field as God's own soldier rounded in the ear with that same purpose changer, that sly devil, that broker that still breaks the pate of faith, that daily break thou, he that wins of all, of kings, of beggars, old men, young men, maids, who having no external thing to lose but that word made, cheats the poor maid of that, that smooth-faced gentleman tickling commodity. Commodity, the bias of the world. The world who of itself is pies and well, made to run even upon even ground, till this advantage, this vile drawing bias, this sway of motion, this commodity, makes it take head from all indifferency. 
from all direction, purpose, course, intent, and this same bias, this commodity, this bawd, this broker, this all-changing word, clapped on the outward eye of fickle France, hath drawn him from his own determined aid, from a resolved and honorable war, to a most base and vile concluded peace. And why rail I on this commodity? But for because he hath not wooed me yet. Not that I have the power to clutch my hand when his fair angels would salute my palm. But for my hand, as unattempted yet, like a poor beggar, raileth on the rich. Well, whilst I am a beggar, I will rail, and say there is no sin but to be rich. And being rich, my virtue then shall be to say there is no vice but beggary. Since kings break faith upon commodity, gain be my lord, for I will worship thee. Very nice. Oh, man, I love that speech. Because it's just like such a perfect conclusion to that scene that we just had. Oh, yeah. I mean, I feel like all you have to do as the actor is kind of like watch all that happen watch them go off and then just like look at the audience, you know, it, because they, they're probably doing the same thing. Um, I think it's extraordinary, you know, that we started with how many pages of like, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to blast you out of the sky. And then we have three pages out of, you know, 15 where this very, very, very quick piece is suddenly, suddenly these two princes are engaged. They're going off to be solemnized. John has given away half of his kingdom to them all of his french land and suddenly it we're all good and these poor people that just fought in this battle anyway are there any final thoughts on this crazy wild scene once again just sort of um the difference between blanche and all the men talking in that scene was sort of marked to me mm. that i felt blanche was pretty honest about what she was saying where everyone else was kind of starting to spin imaginative narratives about love and courtly language. And it felt like when you did that speech, it was like, I'm not going to lie and say that I like this guy. All I can say is I don't not like him for any big reason. And I'm going to do what you want me to do. It was, it was interestingly uh, honest. I, it really makes me think, because I just read uh, Taming of the Shrew recently. There's, uh, you know, Bianca, like she has all those suitors, right? Uh, and then I think she says something very similar to Lucentio. That's like, uh, I don't have a reason to hate you, but you seem okay. <laughs> you are up here doing this thing, but okay. <laughs> you know, he, and he's lying too. So it's just, yeah, it's interesting. Absolutely. No, it, such a pirouette. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I, I don't know who I forget who said it earlier, but the the possibility that this play was written after the tetralogy does feel. I mean, it does kind of read as a parody of of some of those of, of some of those other plays, and and also feels it, it, it's farcical and sort of uncomfortably uh, realistic in terms of its depiction of, of foreign relations and, and kind of things. People kind of well, I guess well, we'll go to war. Uh, well, maybe we would just team up now, and then uh, maybe people would just get married. Just uh, how the sort of the 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 justifications for war are just kind of oh good, Constance isn't here. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, we can. Yeah. Go. <laughs> our 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 point of oh, we can we can wrap this up very tidily while we're missing one very important interest that's been here. So let's do that, and then we'll deal with her. Better to sort of do it and then ask for forgiveness than ask permission and have to deal with the debate you know 
and yeah. Austria too, being like, and I won't rest until your claim is restored. And yeah. then a few hours later, it's like, don't forget to kiss. You yeah. Do. <laughs> yeah. And also Accurate. it's sort of like now that now this whole thing is going to be come to completion because now we have to go into Angiers and get married in the chapel in the town. Yeah. So that, <laughs> that sort of completes the whole thing with the town business. The gates are open. <laughs> that was all they needed to do was say, hey, we need to get in because we've got to perform a marriage. <laughs> it is. It's like the exactly. end of a comedian. It's like, yeah. all right, good. Now problem solved. We'll get married. I've never seen such a reluctant group of nobles in a history, in one of Shakespeare's history plays. Like, they're like, should I go to war? And, you know, his mom's like, yeah, yeah, go do it. He's like, okay, fine, I'll do it. And he's like, man, it was tiring to get here. Just let me in your town, you know, like, <laughs> we fight them, we don't really want to, should they marry, we're not really sure. I've never, out of all the histories, they really seem to, like, not really want to do anything, <laughs> like, do anything unless they have to, you know? It's, it's hard to be the king, um, <laughs> for sure. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I think, I just love that the commodity speech is what, is what wraps this all up. Cause it's almost like, and here is the editor's commentary on what you've just seen. <laughs> like, it's just, to me, that feels very much, and, and I know, I, I think we can get into a lot of danger if we talk about author's intent, but to me, it very much feels like the author coming in. That was pretty ridiculous, right? Right. All right. Absolutely. <laughs> and like, as we've been talking about, like if it was indeed written after so many of the history plays, we all know very well, like, as we get in this speech, we're gone is the play that you saw two weeks ago where it was decided on the battlefield. It was about honor and about strength and like what that meant. That's not what you're watching anymore yeah. at all. So yeah, it's very helpful. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I, I, we, was Richard II we were, we were just referencing? So. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, I also just meant like, I should have clarified. If we were back in the day and it was like, you guys right. just saw Hotspur and Hal duke it out on the battlefield and now this not not at all like what we're doing anymore. <laughs> yeah, it, it's not something that can be, well, I see sort of references in the speech. Like, it's not something that can be proven with like strength right. or facts or even lineage because we get to a point where it's changing it is not based in anything that we think uh, we think of as what would actually be helpful to any of them. It makes them change their course constantly. It unbalances. Right. I love that image that commodity yeah. is this weight that gets pushed different places and makes makes all of these decisions unbalanced. Um, because we, I mean, we see and hear this sort of uh, recreation of the arguments all throughout the tetralogy of like trying to define what kingship is, right? Like what's the divine right of kings or you win it through, you know, glorious martial struggle. And then here we basically see, right? King John's like, well, I'm the king because I'm wearing the crown, right? And <laughs> like, well, no, you're not because look how much Arthur looks like your older brother. Yeah. And, and then they're like, well, I guess we'll have to fight about it. And then they can't, so what happens when those things fall apart and at the end like under underlying it all right yeah commodity which in this sense means like a desire for gain 
um, which is interesting because I think we also think of commodity having to do with a, a monetary advantage. But in this, it, it, it's also, it's like about self-interest essentially. And that this is what drives the world, which, you know, <laughs> I think could be a really interesting proto-Marxist like argument. <laughs> like commodity, sure. the bias of the world, thesis of Marx, you know, like I, I really think there's, there's something to that that there and I'm, I'm always fascinated by the class struggles within within these plays um yeah but the really have it's have like nots. yeah the have and the have nots and like people use each other for their own self-interest in these plays constantly um yeah i mean the bastard absolutely has at least a materialist analysis absolutely absolutely well so then we have now this is interesting because in the folio this is act to scene two, but most modern editions make this the beginning of act three. But I just thought, because act three is kind of long, we'll just keep this with act two. I wanted to just give a little, a tiny little anecdote. When I was, I played Constance a, a couple years ago in a production and I got the biggest laugh on my entrance just when coming in and saying, gone to be married. Like it was so, it was like one of those actor moments where you're like, fuck yeah. Because it was just like this huge laugh because of like what, it, and it's funny because it's, you know, it's a continuation, I think, of the, of the comedy in this, um, in this moment of just like, they were just, what, I, come on, you know, it's just amazing. And I, I just love how, how many questions she has in this as well. So have fun with it, Danny. <laughs> okay. Going to be married? Gone to swear a peace. False blood to false blood joined. Gone to be friends? Shall Lewis have Blanche and Blanche those provinces? It is not so. Thou hast misspoke, misheard. Be well advised. Tell over thy tale again. It cannot be. Thou dost but say, tis so. I trust I may not trust thee, for thy word is but the vain breath of a common man. Believe me, I do not believe thee, man. I have a king's oath to the contrary. Thou shalt be punished for this, for thus frightening me, for I am sick and capable of fears, oppressed with the wrongs and therefore full of fears, a widow, a husbandless, subject to fears. A woman naturally born to fears, and though thou now confess thou didst but jest, with that, with my vexed spirits, I cannot take a truce. But they will quake and tremble all this day. What dost thou mean by shaking of thy, of thy head? Why dost thou look so sadly upon my son? What means that hand upon thy breast of thine? Why hold thine eyes that lamentable room? like a proud river peering over his bounds. Be these sad signs confirmers of thy words. Then speak again, not all thy former tale, but this one word, whether thy tale be true. As true as I believe you think them false, that give you cause to prove my saying true. Oh, if thou teach me to believe this sorrow, teach thou this sorrow how to make me die. And let belief and life encounter so as doth the fury of two separate men, which in the 
airy melting fall and die. Louis Mary Blant? Oh boy, then where art thou? France, friend to England? What becomes of me? Thou be gone, I cannot book thy sight. This news hath made thee most ugly man. What other harm have I, good lady, done, but spoke the harm that is by others done? Which harm within itself so heinous is, as it makes harmful all that speak of it? I do beseech you, madam, be content. If thou that biddest me be content, wert grim, ugly, and slanderous to thy mother's womb, full of unpleasing blots and sightless stains, lame, foolish, crooked, base, prodigious, patched with foul moles and eye-offending marks, I would not care, and then I would be content. For then I should not love thee, no, nor thou, become thy great birth, nor deserve a crown. But thou art fair, and at thy birth, dear boy, nature and fortune join to make thee great. Of nature's gift thou mayest with lilies boast, and with half-blown rose. But fortune, oh, she is corrupted, changed, and won from thee. She adulterates hourly with thine uncle John, and with her golden hand hath plucked on France to tread down fair respect and sovereignty, and made this his majesty the board to theirs. Francis abroad to fortune and King John, that strumpet fortune that usurping john tell me fellow is not france forsworn and then him in with words or get thee gone and leave those woes alone which alone which i alone am bound to underbear pardon me madam i may not go without you to the kings thou mayest thou shalt i will not go with thee I will instruct my sorrows to be proud, for grief is proud and makes his owner stoop. And to me and to the state of my great grief, let kings assemble for my griefs so great that no supporter but the huge firm earth can hold it up. Here I and sorrow sit, here is my throne. Bid kings come and, and bow to it. Lovely. Wow. Totally different scene, right? From the one that we just had. I just like, like to do sort of for, for French scenes, you know, where we have, I like to give it a little title, like what, what happens in this little section. And I just wrote the fallout for this one. Like this is, <laughs> you know, I, I think what's so important about this was we just had this comedic thing of like, oh yeah, it's all tied up in a bow. And it's like, wait a second. No, 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 no because what this actually means is that now that they're at peace, this means that these other people, it's always this balance, right? So now they're down. Very similar to Richard II when, you know, Richard talks about they're holding the crown and one is a bucket that's empty and dancing in the air and the other one is down and unseen and full of water, right? So here's the down, unseen and full of water Constance having this amazing reaction because it, as I'm so sorry, I've forgotten who said it. She knows immediately what this means. 
she knows immediately what this means and what the and and is five steps ahead of of everyone being like oh peace she's like no 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 no. this actually doesn't mean peace this this is going to mean more war and this is going to mean the death of my my son uh, I love those internal stage directions that Shakespeare gives you with the whole to Salisbury of like, oh, so you're shaking your head, you're looking sadly on the sun, you're, you know, like putting your hand upon your breath. Like, it's great. It just gives you all these stage directions. Um, what, was, what was your feeling, Danny, while reading this? Is this a different Constance than the one that we saw in the previous scene? Has she changed? Yeah. Um because now all hope is gone before Mm -hmm. she thought you know she was going to be like queen mother and now she's she's not yeah um so yeah it's it's a and i and i really do see because how why the women have to think so many steps ahead is because you know when you're the woman it really matters like when you're when you're pregnant you're thinking it's like this better be a boy he better be good looking and he better be this because you know because my life depends on it my future depends on it oh completely complete that's a wonderful i mean this whole bit about like if you were ugly and slanderous and lame and foolish and crooked i wouldn't love you like so (laughs) intense but it's you know i think we get we get a, a sense that that is kind of the received notion if we look at a play like Richard III and the way that the Duchess of York treats Richard III, you know, her son. Um, there's, there's a really interesting, this sort of obsession with the, the perfection. One would think that during this time, because the infant mortality rate was so high, you would just be super happy if your kids survived infancy because that was pretty, uh, uh, you know, people, I, you know, you look at the... Um, all of uh Jeffrey and John's siblings and it's like there's you know like 12 siblings most of which didn't live past a couple months old you know um but they're still very much on the on the family tree back on that theme of like he looks like Richard the Lionhearted he looks like Jeffrey like he he's beautiful and looks like Jeffrey so he must be the one who's supposed to be the rightful king it's just interesting that theme keeps coming up of like telling whether someone should be king or who they should be based on their face yeah it's just funny to me it keeps coming out (laughs) how good would they look on a coin (laughs) which like seems to also be a, an important thing. There's so many freaking coin jokes in this play too. There's the, the, the fair angels will salute my palm. Angel was a coin. It was a gold coin. So if you put angels in, uh, in the bastard's palm, I mean, making them nice and rich. Um, but yeah, so wow. And we also meet Salisbury, who's going to be very, very important in Acts uh, 4 and 5 as well, who's one of the English nobles on the side of John. He has some issues with John though. But yeah, so it's, it's like the other shoe drops right in this. Poor Salisbury, he's got a really tough job here. Like he yeah. got delegated, pretty tough task. Exactly. Talk to the woman we're all scared of, and we're really glad she wasn't there when we made this decision, <laughs> until we made the decision. And he gets, you know, he gets it. Yeah, <laughs> he gets to he gets to take it on the chin. But see, the thing is, Salisbury, and I want to clarify this: Salisbury is actually the half brother of King John. Yeah. But again, 
bastard, right? Okay, he's the bastard. John is using him here, obviously, to do the dirty work. And mm. yet, you know, he's his lawyer, of course, to John as his brother. He might have grown up with him. He's very close. And so he has the ability to, to move between things because he's a bastard. Mm-hmm. And yet, he knows the inside court. He is right there with John. So it's, it's interesting because then Salisbury gets, you know, does a whole bunch of stuff later on. Yeah. But that he, that he has to face Constance is like, geez, you know, okay, you, I know you love me. You go deal with Constance. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's horrible. <laughs> it's really, I mean, Constance is such an interesting and unique character in this play because she's one of the few people who, whose basic beliefs and allegiances don't change, right, throughout the play, which her allegiance is first and foremost to her son. And that never changes, you know. She is always, and, and she's always going to fight for him. And yet they only have this scene where, like, he says one thing to her before we get the most famous of her scenes, which is her grieving that they've been separated. So it's, it's, a, it's an awful lot to put on a relationship to just have this one little moment, this one semi-private moment between the two of them before it's broken. You know, it's kind of extraordinary. I mean, it feels pretty accurate though. It's like, uh, you know, like, yeah, Arthur's like, Bob, can you calm down a little bit? Like, we don't really need to have a big war and all of this, you know? And then she's like, yeah, I know what's best for you, you know? Yeah, and- absolutely. And I, I love her bit at the end about like, here I am sitting with my sorrows. Kings can come bound to it. It really sounds like a, it sounds like a curse somehow. Um, and she gets to end with a great rhyming couplet, which is always fun. There is, interestingly, there's no exit written in the folio either, but it starts a new scene. So it's, it's I think... I think if I were doing this, I would probably stage it as a continuous scene that she stays there and then everyone else comes in for the beginning of act three. Um, Anyway, thank you all so much.